Hi, and thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. Hey, Dream 10X, welcome to episode 25. This is your boy, JC. And Dr. Cynthia Capel. And we are here with my friend and uh, rowing companion and author, David Moore Robinson. Welcome, David. It's great to have you on our podcast. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. So, Dave, uh, I just finished reading your book. Hmm. You just came out with a book called My Unremarkable Brain. Yes, sir. And I loved it, and I'd, I'd love to share some of my stories related to some of the things you talked about in this book. But before we get into that, I would love to hear what led up to you actually writing this book. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, so, uh, you know, a little bit of the background of, of how I came to write a book to begin with. Um, I have a background as a, as a writer. I have a master of fine arts in creative writing. Um, and I've always written fiction, uh, short fiction mostly, you know, so I've had a few publications here and there and little literary magazines. Um, and, but I've always wanted to, to write a book, you know, it's always sort of been a dream of mine to do, um, you know, a book length piece of work. And, uh, I've tried, tried my hand at novels a couple of times. Um, I have a few novels in the drawer that are probably 100, 150 pages in that just sort of ran out of gas, you know, um, and uh, gave up on. Um, but uh, about, well, a little, just a little over a year ago, um, my wife, Judy, for, from whom all good things come. <laughs> um, Is that what she, we're supposed to say? All right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Now she um, she got an email from a classmate of hers from a graduate program that was um, about this class, this book writing class, and uh, you know she forwarded it to me. She said, you know, you've always kind of wanted to write a book, you know, um, had it in the back of my mind. So so I looked at it and I was like, oh, what is this? You know, is this some kind of a, a scam? It's you know, write a book in a year. Like first of all, I've I've you know, banged my head against the wall trying to write books for for much longer than that. Um, but uh, it was, um, but I checked the guy out, looked at him online. It, it was a guy, um, guy named Eric Custer, and uh, his, his he runs what he calls the Creator Institute, and um, so it was through this uh, through this program, and essentially. So, so I thought, well, you know, what, what can I lose? I'll give the guy a call. So I called him up. And, um, one of the things that he said was, um, that was interesting to me is he said, you know, lots of people tried to write a book, um, about 90, 98% of them fail. And, um, I said, well, you know, okay. So I, at least I'm in good company for one thing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but uh, um, he said, the reason they fail is that they think of writing as a solo activity. Um, hmm. And I said, huh, that's interesting. And I thought, you know, that, that jived with me. You know, you always have the, the image of some, you know, mad writer sitting alone at his typewriter in some <laughs> cabin somewhere, you know, <laughs> packing away, trying to get, uh, trying to do this thing. And, and, 
he said, you know, that, that's where people go wrong, that you really need the community, the support of other writers, right. editors, um, you know, other people in, in part of the process from the very beginning. Um, and I said, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but all right, let me let me give it a shot. So I did. So I signed up and um, really, really uh, terrific program. I can't speak highly enough about him and, and what he's put together. I mean, it's basically a year long class where uh, he kind of takes you through the steps of um, gathering information and, and doing interviews and putting it all together. Um, and he pairs you up with um, with an editor. And, uh, you know, from there, uh, he actually um, has a relationship with, uh, with a uh, printing press called New Degree Press. So um, you can actually can follow this through all the way to publication. And uh, so that's what I did, you know, and, and sort of this opportunity, I decided to push myself out of my comfort zone a little bit hmm. and um, and write uh, nonfiction. Like I said, I'd always written fiction more. Uh -huh. but, um, I said, uh, you know, I, I sat there and and really the first part of the, the process, of course, is you got to figure out what you're going to write about. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> And then, which apparently, which actually is not required before you start the program. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you go through sort of, okay, what are your hobbies? Uh, what do you like to mm. read about? What do you like to learn about? What do right. you like to, to talk about? Um, so I went back and forth on a number of topics. But um, the thing I kept coming back to was uh, this journey that I've been on for the last several years, um, just really exploring the idea of food. Um, food and health mm. and um, um, what has been three, four year journey probably now um, into exploring the relationship uh, between food and health and more particularly uh, brain health. And so uh, that's, that's where the direction that I've started to go. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a wild process. I mean, uh, 2020 was, was by all accounts, a horrible year. Um, for most everything, uh, but it turned out it was a good year to write a book uh, <laughs> because because uh, I was stuck at home and and so were a lot of other people and so I was able to really reach out and connect with uh, some of the top um, minds and the top top uh, thinkers, the thought leaders in the low carb diet space, and uh, you know interview them and, and get their their ideas and incorporate all of that into this book. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear more about um, your ACR connection and how that was such a strong influence for the start of it. Uh, ACR uh, being Alexandria Community Rowing. So yeah, the book, uh, the book is in three parts. Uh, the first part is called The Fat-Fueled Body. Uh, second part, the fat fuel brain, and the third part is the fat fuel life. Um, so it really starts with, uh, it, it follows in a way my own journey, um, which started with the idea of just um, looking into diet as a way to lose weight. And um, uh, as I tell in the book, I was, a, I was a college athlete. I was on the rowing, rowing team and um, loved rowing. Uh, it was my first, uh, my first sport that I ever did, really, I was a complete klutz when I was a kid and um, <laughs> picked last in gym, you know, I was just the one kind of <laughs> skulking around the back, you know, 
um, get throwing dodgeballs in my head <laughs> nonstop, you know. Um, so, uh, so the idea of, of playing a sport was the most foreign thing to me. But, uh, you know, my freshman year, some woman, a young girl, you know, grabbed me on the quad and said, oh, you should row, you should row. She was on the rowing team. And uh, I said, well, I guess I could try that. And um, that's all it sure. takes is a woman grabbing you to pull you into something. Exactly. Exactly. You. you may be picking up a theme here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, so I tried out and, and sure enough, everybody else was terrible at it, which was, which was great because we were all just, you know, novices. No one had done it before. And, uh, and it was great, you know, it just getting involved and, and, being a new a freshman at college you know you don't know many people you're trying to meet people all of a sudden you've got a, a niche in a place um so uh so that was a major part of my my four years of college uh fast forward about 20 years well what, what college is this sorry sorry to interrupt. Uh, i went to uh uh notre dame okay i went to, I went notre, to notre dame, dame in indiana yep yep cool. um and uh, a lot of fun. We were we were a club program. You know, we had no funding. We had yeah. a, a, a part-time coach who was sort of this old retired Navy guy who would drive around with a can of beer in the boat and just, you know, <laughs> yell at us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yell strange platitudes, you know. He once, <laughs> he once told us, uh, he once told our, our, our heavyweight boat, he said, well, you beat the lightweights by about 10 seconds, but... That's kind of like peeing in a dark suit. <laughs> Gives you a warm feeling inside, but nobody notices. That's awesome. So, these, are, these are some of the you know role uh, models of my formative yeah. years. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I can relate to that too. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, so, but he was a great guy, you know, it was a great, great group of people. We were just a group of you know, misfits and, and, um, we'd spend, you know, drive 16 hours on a weekend in a stinky van, you know, <laughs> full of 15 people to go to, to race in Boston or something and drinking the whole way. Yeah. Telling stories <laughs> and being stupid and, you know, and, uh, get our, get our butts kicked on the race course. And then we yeah. turn around and go back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, really, really time of my life as far as, uh, as far as the color and, and the height of my athletic career. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and after college, I tried to keep, keep up with it a little bit. You know, I, I actually, I lived in Philadelphia there's some really good rowing clubs there. Um, which uh, were very competitive. I actually I joined a, um, a Penn AC is is the club that I joined there. Never heard of it. Uh, never heard of it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had a pretty strong, um, you know, men's program, and uh, a lot of the guys were home on summer break, or they were, you know, or they were aspiring Olympians who were basically rowing, you know, nonstop, you know. Mm. And, uh, and, but, and I was at my first job and, and I was working at a public relations firm in, in, in Philly. Oh, really? And, um, yeah, yeah. We were trying, you know, trying to do, trying to do that thing, you know, um, start out my career and then in the morning and in the evening, trying to make it to practice. Uh, and, and after a year of that, I remember I went, this was, it was late August. I think we had just come back from uh, club nationals, um, 
and uh, I went to the the ATM and I was completely out of money, <laughs> and and I had also just bankrupted uh, any any leave time that I had. I had mm. taken a bunch of unpaid leave so I could row, oh, and I was like, well, well, this is ridiculous. This isn't working out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so that was pretty much it for my mm. for my rowing career. That and I and I had a, an accident with a high school girls four um, in a single. So that. <laughs> That also put a damper on things. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going. Do you, you know those two bridges, the uh, uh, the the two last bridges as you're getting toward Boathouse Row? Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of that funny angle. Um, yeah. I I was coming down one way. They were coming up the other way through the wrong span. Oh. And uh, all of a sudden, I hear that I hear screaming and the, wait up, wait up. So I turn around and sure enough, their bow had crossed over. The front of the bow of the single I was rowing mm. um, through the combing. The combing kind of got the the bow ball kind of got held up on the combing. So so the point of their bow uh, made it all the way through and uh, and into my left butt cheek. As a matter oh, of fact, man. Uh, <laughs> I sat, I went down and I saw it was stuck on my my spandex shorts. I was like, <laughs> well, that's strange. <laughs> Pulled it off. Pulling it off, you know, I'm bleeding all over the place. Oh. Um, managed, managed, got back to the club, you know, managed to, to paddle the thing back and got yelled at by the dock master. Um, managed to get back home where I was uh, living not too far from there. And my roommate, as it happened, was a, uh, was a med student. And he said, well, I could take you to the hospital or, you know, I could go and grab some stitches and we can get you, get you patched oh. up. And I said, Where's the bourbon? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that was the ignominious uh, end of my rowing career. Anyway, um, <laughs> fast forward, fast forward a good twenty years and and a good uh, uh, fifty, sixty pounds. Was it twenty and, year um, hiatus? Yeah, yeah. Really? Okay. It, it was. It was because. Um, Nearly that, nearly that, um, because I was uh, 39 yeah. now. Yeah, so it was maybe 18 years. Um, so I was about 39 and um, kind of out running with the dog, and I ran by um, this big blue boathouse. And I, said, <laughs> I wonder what goes on there, you know? Um, so, I, so I looked into it, and Alexandria Community Rowing. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> House of Sweet Pain. A sweet, sweet pain. <laughs> and uh, yeah, found my way to um, uh, to the right person. Alan, actually, you know, Alan was the, uh, the dock master and he showed me around the around the boathouse and I joined up and uh, never looked back, you know, been, been rowing with ACR a good six years now. Mm. And, um, you know, it's it's. It's been great. It's been great. I mean, as far as one of the things that, that shows up again and again in this book, I think, is the idea of community right. and um, just having, you know, getting your butt out of bed to go work out mm -hmm. is is one thing. But um, whether it's at the gym or go go run or something, but getting your butt out of bed when there's seven other guys waiting and they're not going to be able to row if you don't get down there. Um, it's another thing entirely, you know. Yeah. 
And uh, so, yeah, just having that accountability and having that community around it uh, for me was huge. Yeah. Plus, that's a special group of guys down there. I I didn't realize uh, that you didn't like the word uh, or the name Big Dave, because that's all I've ever known you as. So reading the book, I was like, oh, I didn't know he didn't like that. Well, I took, I took ownership of it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. It's, it's uh, descriptive. There's nothing else, right? Yeah. So I, I loved the, the, the story of the book about how this, these troop of characters at Alexandria Community Rowing come and save you mm-hmm. when you first have your, your yeah. event or whatever you want to call it. I, I had no idea that happened. So tell us more about that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so and that, that sort of gets us into uh, this sort of the connection between part two. It's a weird book in some ways. It's a bunch of different books in one. It's part memoir. It's part interviews. It's part nonfiction. Um, but um, I had been so so I had my first seizure when I was 28 years old. Um, it was, uh, you know, a, a typical I think it was a Thursday night. You know, I was living in New York City at the time and um, I was teaching high school uh, for a living. And I had uh, two roommates, also teachers. And one night we're sitting around and we're talking about, oh, okay, what are we going to do for dinner? You know, should we order out? Should we order a pizza? What? Um, and I just started have this really weird lightheaded feeling. Um, hard to even describe it, but just sort of this tingling in my head and, um, and almost kind of a tunnel vision, you know, um, uh, and tunnel in, in a weird way, tunnel hearing. Like I would, mm. if you've ever, if, as a kid, you ever put like a, like a, um, cardboard tube up to your ear and it sounds like everyone's at the end of a tunnel kind of thing you know we're having a conversation and all of a sudden their voices are coming to me like that and i'm like wow this is really weird um i was sitting in a a lazy boy chair at the time so i stood up kind of like shook my head to try to clear it and um and that's all i remember um uh, that was uh, your first seizure that was my very first seizure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's unusual. A lot of people consider, you know, a lot of people, uh, associate epilepsy as a children's disease because it usually does show up in childhood. Um, but there's a, a fraction of people for whom, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, come on until, until adulthood. Um, so, uh, so, I uh, collapsed and, and fell into convulsions. I was unconscious immediately, you know, and uh, my roommates are freaking out. They're running around, you know, screaming like chickens with their heads cut off, like <laughs> trying to throw water in my face. Like what's going on here? Um, they called 911. Um, they made such a ruckus, actually the neighbor uh, guy who we called the buffoon. Um, because he was, he was a, uh, he was this old guy. Well, he was old to us. He was probably, you know, 45, but he would, he would get, I know, I know, but he would get drunk every night and yell at the television and we'd yell through the wall at him, you know, we had a great relationship. Um, <laughs> so he comes busting in the door and says, what's going on here? And my roommates go, go out, shut up, buffoon. <laughs> go out and hail, a, go out and hail an ambulance, he says. Uh, he's like, okay. So he runs outside. Um, but, uh, ambulance shows up. They, they, uh, I eventually, you know, regained consciousness after a couple of minutes. Um, 
I think pretty much in the ambulance, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, they brought me down to the hospital. I was in the hospital like mm, two nights, I think three full days. Um, they ran every kind of test on me they could think of. And, um, and they said, um, well, looks like you have epilepsy. Now, now I should mention my brother, I grew up with epilepsy and based on that sort of genetic connection, they said, well, you know, that's probably what's going on here. I mean, they had tested for everything from, from drug overdose to, to brain tumor to this, that, and the other thing, um, couldn't come up with anything. So that's, that's what they decided. Um, gave me a prescription, sent me on my way. Um, and, uh, and I was good to go. And, and aside from one other seizure two years later, when I tried to wean off the medication, um, as per the protocol, then I had a seizure again. So back on the medication and, and, um, hmm. that was status quo for, for over 10 years. Wow. Um, just almost didn't even think about it. Uh, after a while, you know, wake up in the morning, take a pill, take another pill before bed and, um, live, uh, you know, other than that, just live, live a normal life. Hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, that's all sort of, background to what's going on with uh with as i say you know finding my way back to rowing and, and my career and you know getting married and all these things you know that normal life going on um uh that is until 2017 and um and uh so in 2017 as you mentioned i've been i've been rowing for several years so so had some good friendships there and um for one one weekend during the summer, I went up to New York to go camping with my brother, my other brother. This is not the same one, um, but uh, he and I spent the weekend hanging out, drinking beer, eating hot dogs, the usual kind of thing, you know. Um, and that Sunday, I was driving back, and I was in the middle of um, rural Pennsylvania, driving back here to the D.C. area. Um, started to feel that same funny feeling in my head, you know, Are you still taking the meds at this time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Every year, every year or so. I mean, at, at that point I would visit my neurologist once a year. He'd do some blood tests. He, as he said, you know, are you coming by to wave and then head on your way? And I said, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. You know, I mean, we do an appointment, he do some blood work. Yep. Everything looks good. Um, here's your prescription refill off you go. Uh -huh. Um, once in a while he would mention, do I, did I want to try weaning off of medication? Um, mm. and, um, I think, well, you know, let's not rock the boat here. You know, uh, if it's working, let's stick with it. Um, the bet the side effects weren't too bad and, and I felt okay. So, um, so we went, uh, so went on that way. Um, so yeah, so, so 2017 and I'm driving back from this trip and I, out of nowhere, you know, start to feel that, uh, that same feeling lightheaded. Um, I'm listening to the radio, yeah, some classic rock and I can actually hear another song playing on top of it. Really? Yeah. And I'm, and I'm sort of like, well, that's weird. Something wrong. I, I, for, at first I thought, you know, I'm moving from one area to the other you know how sometimes you get two two yeah. radio stations yeah and so i'm playing with the radio i'm turning it off and one of the songs is still going and i'm like uh-oh <laughs> um 
and it's just as plain as day as you were listening to the radio. Yeah, it's it's hard to describe. It's it's somewhere yeah. between having a song stuck in your head, uh, you know, like like you get some you know stupid song stuck in your head and it keeps coming back, yeah. and and actually hearing it. Yeah. You know, it's it's this sort of they call it an auditory hallucination. Yeah. Um, and so I, so I could tell it wasn't really there, but mm. couldn't couldn't make it go away either. Um, and so I pulled the car to the side of the road, and um, next thing I know, once again, I'm I'm waking up in an ambulance. No kidding. Um, <clears throat> so uh, so that that's you know my and then and then I was out again, um, and then. I woke up again and I saw Judy and uh, Rich and Patricia and Bill and Jane standing <laughs> at the foot of at the foot of the hospital bed. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the, the more the more interesting side of the story in some ways was was Judy, who was home for the weekend, and uh, like I said, I was away and I had texted her shortly before then, said, "Yeah, checking in. I'm on my way. Everything's fine." And then she gets a call and uh, they say, is this, you know, is this Judy Robinson? And she says, yes. Who is this? And I said, um, your husband's been in an accident. And uh, she says, well, is he okay? And they're like, we need you to come get him. And she's saying, well, is he okay? And they're like, well, we can't tell you, but we need you to come get him. What? So, yeah, yeah. It's just the craziest thing, you know. <clears throat> Was this so the hospital like, or the police? And my, uh, I believe this was this was the police. This was the chief um, chief of police and the the sheriff in the area. I believe it was. Huh. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of strange. So, um, so you know, so she makes calls to the first people she thinks of, which are my rowing friends, right? Uh-huh. Um, Rich and Patricia, they're out. They're out. You know boozing it up but uh <laughs> having charcuterie somewhere you know just another night in alexandria uh uh-huh. bill and jane are hanging out on their patio and you know sure enough the 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 five of them you know get in the drunk wagon and, and drive, <laughs> drive up are <laughs> driving three hours to rural pennsylvania to, okay to so they didn't know them. if you were dead or alive judy they said i she did not know. She knew I wasn't dead. She oh. knew I wasn't dead, but oh. she didn't know what kind of shape I was okay. in. Okay. Um, wow. And so, and so, you know, as I tell it, uh, as I tell it in the book, and and they tell it much more colorfully than I can. <laughs> but uh, you know, here's here's Bill driving, and and here's Judy behind her with behind him with her hands, you know, on the on the back of the driver's seat, and. There's Rich over there who's who's been cheated out of his charcuterie. So he's like, "Come on, let's let's stop for some McDonald's." When I was reading that in the book, I heard him saying this in his voice, like you captured it perfectly. Right, he's, big, he's big Dave. He's fine. You know. It's a big loop. We'll get through this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and I love so, that uh, the fire chief took your dog home. Yes. Yes, in fact, um, in fact, I've many times at Christmas I've sent him some some nice steaks because uh, oh, yeah. we still keep in touch with that guy. That was above and beyond. He um, 
Huh. He rescued the dog and, and brought him back to his house. And Jake would just play with the other dogs and running around the pool and stuff. So <laughs> he was having the adventure of his life. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, again, you guys know Rich. And the way Rich tells it, you know, Jake is jumping in the driver's seat and trying to take control of the wheel and, you know, going, hold on, Dave, you know. <laughs> Which may have happened. I don't know. You should have put that in the book. <laughs> That's frustrating. You know, one of the great stories of my life. I wasn't really there for it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? So, uh, wow. so yeah, I mean, that's the, as you can see, Rich shows up a couple of times in the book and uh, my rowing buddies and, and that community right. has been, uh, has been really a huge part of, uh, of this journey. Yeah. That's awesome. And, um, so leading, the, so those 10 years where you were taking medication for your epilepsy, did any, mm -hmm. did any of those doctors ever mention uh, potential of diet helping your situation? Not one uh, doctor that I saw mentioned, mentioned diet. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. In fact, the only way that I discovered this connection was that I was, um, again, researching the low-carb diet for my weight you know, for my body and, uh, became really interested in it and started listening to lots of podcasts, uh, reading books and things like that. And, uh, one day I happened to hear a podcast that was an interview with a guy named Jim Abrams. Hmm. Now, um, not necessarily a household name, but, but he's, if you know, stupid comedy movies, yeah. uh, you know, his work, uh, he's, he's one third of the Zucker Abrams Zucker Zaz team who, who was behind the naked gun, yeah. um, airplane. Yeah. 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 Um, some great comedy movies and that were, were, um, really a, a seminal part of my upbringing and adolescent boyhood, you know? Um, <laughs> So one day, you know, he's, he's on this, on this podcast and, and I hear about his story, which is really fascinating about how he uh, discovered ketogenic diet as a therapy for epilepsy, uh, for his son, his son, Charlie was uh, a year and a half old, started having seizures, um, one or two here or there. And then all of a sudden he's having 12, 15 seizures a day poor kid and uh, they brought him to every specialist they could find they brought him to and of course uh, this guy's a huge hollywood producer so he can as he'll tell you he's spared no expense mm -hmm. you know he's he's flying the kid to boston he's flying to la to you know all over the country to see these specialists they tried medications they medications on top of medications they tried um, they tried one uh, surgery and that didn't do anything. They were talking about another surgery that would, would essentially be um, cut out his frontal lobe. It, yeah. it, it basically, you know, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Almost. Basically a lobotomy. Yeah. And um, he happened to be, you know, looking at, and so he was trying to figure out actually at the time he was trying to figure out, well, what would life be like for Charlie after this, yeah. this, surgery, you know, is, will we ever get our son back? You know, those sorts of things. And, um, he happens upon this thing, ketogenic diet in the index of an old 
textbook in the medical library and looks it up and, and runs up to his doctor and says, what about this? You know, what about this diet? And the doctor's like, yeah, no, we don't really do that here. Um, and so uh, he did, he uh, you know, started looking around. He found actually the one doctor in America who still administered the diet as a treatment, a guy named John Friedman at, at Johns Hopkins. Uh, they flew out to see him, got him on the, the diet. And um, sure enough, within two years, he was seizure free. Um, another year, he, he went off the diet. And um, uh, Charlie's an adult now. He's a, he's a teacher. He's, he's never had a seizure since. Um, and so um, really, really touching story. And, uh, and Jim has sort of found a second career in some ways um, as an advocate for for epilepsy and this, particularly for the ketogenic diet he founded a foundation called the charlie foundation named for his son of course and um and really without you know many many doctors will tell you this without jim abrams the ketogenic diet therapy would not be around today Interesting. Uh, because he just did uh, not only advocacy patient advocacy but um you know, finding funding for uh, and grants for research and um, which got more doctors interested in it and, and you know, more studies done. And, and so um, and more books published. He actually funded the publication of pretty much the first book for um, guide to the ketogenic diet for parents. And uh, so, um, yeah, he was really sort of the keeper of the flame in some ways. Mm. What's really interesting to me about this story is the he's the only one who had the motivation to really think outside of the box uh, in terms of troubleshooting a health system to figure out how to solve a problem for his son. And he couldn't get that from anybody in the medical community. Yeah, yeah, it's it is really interesting. I mean, it's there's sort of this uh, you know i don't know not to disparage doctors i mean and and medicine obviously you know medication i'm still on medication i should mention that uh, you know i am and um it's worked for me in in many ways but there seem to be um there seem to be these standards of care and if you're a doctor you don't deviate from the standard of care um or else you put your own career in jeopardy. Oh, interesting. Right. Um, there's you open yourself for for lawsuits, you know, malpractice and all these things. Hmm. And so some of the doctors that I've told talked to have, have talked about this, you know, that that um, they really they they can't not do this because they know it works and they know it's the best way to go, but they can't um, they do so, you know, they do so very cautiously. Charlie's case happened in the early 90s. And so it's been 25 years or so, and there's been just exponential growth in the ketogenic diet for epilepsy. And the number of studies have, have skyrocketed. Uh, it's become more and more commonplace. And um, it's it's often it's it's still considered in in the standard of care it's still considered a last resort um, in other words try every medication you can and if that doesn't work you know try try surgery if you can and if that doesn't work then try diet um, 
which to me is is very interesting. It tells you a lot about the mentality, I think, of of traditional medicine. That you know, if we've got something that's, that's simple and straightforward, you know, that's what we want to go with. Um, diet is kind of messy. It's kind of uh, you have to trust the patient to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, whereas, you know, take this pill and go on your way. Uh, it's much much easier to control from a from a practitioner standpoint. At least that's that's the way I read it. You know, again, I'm not a doctor, and I should probably mention up front. You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not any kind of a guru or anything. None of this is medical advice. All that good stuff. Um, but um, but yeah, just the story of this diet is was really interesting to me. I had a lot of fun writing the the chapter that was the history of the ketogenic diet. Yeah, there's you, you provide story after story about how diet has helped or se- seemed to help so many people struggling with epilepsy. This uh, high high fat, low carb diet, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, I try to give a little bit of the science of it in the in the book. Um, again, from my layman's perspective. Um, the essence of it is that, you know, you can fuel the brain one of two ways. You can fuel the brain with carbohydrates or with fats mm. and uh, fats, they say. And, and it, interestingly, they still don't really know 100 percent why this is the case. But fats as a fuel are less uh, what they say, less excitatory in the brain. Mm. Um, it's less likely to uh, the brain is less likely to go into a seizure. Uh, when it's being fueled on fat, and um, in as far as efficacy, this is this has been known since the 1920s. The first study on epilepsy and ketogenic diet came out in 1921. 100 years old now. I call it. In fact, I call it the 100-year fad diet in my book. Um, but uh, you know, even even today. It works in, it's likely that it works in several different ways through several different pathways, metabolic pathways in the brain, um, which is why they have sort of a hard time pinning down exactly A plus B equals C. Um, and that's what, when I talked to um, to Dr. Eric Kossoff, who's one of the leading, uh, leading figures in epilepsy and the ketogenic diet in children, he said he suspects that's one of the reasons that people have trouble um, adopting it and accepting it more widely, that um, it's not a very simple do this, it leads to that, and therefore everything is fine. So, okay, diet is really powerful, and partnering with that is mindset. So. In the beginning of the book, you mentioned The Joy of Movement by Kelly McGonigal. And by the way, that's one of my favorite books. So I was like, yeah, oh, she's amazing. And she, well, a lot of neuroscience research shows that movement helps create neural pathways and really helps make the brain healthy. And Kelly McGonigal really focuses on that mind-body connection in relation to movement. And then later in the book, and to, to create a healthy, positive mindset. Yeah. And then later in the book, you talk about David Martin. Uh, Daniel Martin, excuse me, who talks about the mindset being the whole experience and positive thinking and spirituality to help with that holistic view of yourself. So I ask you kind of twofold question. 
what kind of things do you do to um, make, to be sure and maintain positivity and how has movement helped with that? Great, great question. Um, so, so several things, you know, I mean, and I agree, I couldn't agree more that movement is a huge part of, of, you know, positivity of outlook. Um, I can definitely feel it when I have been, when I've gone too long without working out, you know, I feel it in my body and I feel it in, in my mood. Um, so it's been, it's been difficult during lockdown. And I will say that, uh, I ended up buying a, an erg over here, a rowing machine so I can get up, get on there and, and at least do some meters after work. Uh, but I do find that exor physical exercise is just a way of shaking out the stresses of the day, you know, shaking out the, um, the worries, the, the tensions that, that build up over the course of the day. Um, I, I have to admit that I, there are some nice things about working from home, but, and, and teaching from home, but sitting in front of a computer all day, staring at a zoom screen, uh, <laughs> is, it's driving me batty, you know, it just drives me up the wall. Um, and so just trying to break up the day with some movement breaks, you know, take a walk and get out in the backyard, uh, you know, maybe do, do some push-ups or jumping jacks, you know, just to get the blood flowing again. Um, I think it's, I think it's huge, uh, you know, more so than, and I've, and I've been practicing med meditation a couple of years now. Um, that's helpful too, and sort of becoming grounded, but, but I agree with you that, that nothing beats movement as far as, as far as like that grounding experience. So have you found it's helped you and your daily life and activity and helping to keep a positive mindset going forward? It hasn't helped you with maintaining a keto diet, for example, that mind body connection. Yes. Yes. That too. Um, it's, you know, it, there's a certain, um, I think you develop a certain body sense, if that makes sense, um, where, where you can feel, well, for example, if I go off the rails one night and, uh, you know, there's uh, cupcakes in there or something and I get in there and start munching on them, uh, I'll feel it in my body the next day during a workout for sure. Um, not so much that I put on a, a bunch of weight and I'm hauling it around, but I do feel that, that sluggishness in my, my joints and my muscles, you know? Um, so it keeps, it keeps you honest in that certain way, but I think it works in the in the reverse as well. Um, in the reverse way, you know, by, by getting a workout in, and like I say, I usually work out after work it's sort of my transition from the work day into the evening uh, it brings that uh, physical health and wellness to the top of mind before i before i start making dinner mm. um and so you know i, I can it's a kind of a reminder to me of, of what i'm doing here mm. which is easy to easy easy to lose sight of in the world we world we live in, you know, to be low carb in the world now is, is to be sort of countercultural in this weird way.
Huh. Yeah, you know, uh, physical activity has always been like obvious to me. Like you, you got to be physically active to to stay healthy. What hasn't been obvious to me was diet. And, and so reading your book really made me think a lot more about the importance of diet. And, but I want to hear how your journey uh, uh, thinking about diet has helped you with your epilepsy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's a great question. So I, um, I got on this diet and, and like I say, I, I didn't just go it alone. I found a doctor who's a practitioner and uses diet as part of the therapy um, and uh, started seeing her and, you know, was worked with actually it's a team. She works with a dietitian. And so it's every time I go there, I meet with each of them and we fine tune the diet and fine tune uh, what's going on. Um, it has helped me feel more grounded uh, mentally, uh, more, mentally focused. Um, I used to get, you know, back when I was eating sort of the typical standard diet, I, I'd have a sandwich for lunch. And two hours later, I'd be half falling asleep at a meeting or, or in my, my desk. Um, it's definitely given me that steady, slow, steady energy throughout the day, um, which is interesting. Now, as far as my um as far as uh seizures uh, you know I, i'm lucky that i've been seizure free for the for the three years since i started okay. um but i am still on medication so it's i'm using that combination of therapies okay. um my doctor has, has said you know hey if you want we can try weaning you off and try just the diet see how that works um right now quite frankly i'm i'm too car dependent in life um so uh, I've, I don't want to lose that because uh, one of the things about, about epilepsy, when you have a seizure, uh, by law, you need to stop driving for a certain amount of time, depending uh. on the state. Yeah. Um, in Virginia, it's six months. And so um, I, every time I think about it, I think, oh, you know, should I? And, and during the transition period, I would need to, would need to hold off. So um, it's something I've considered, but but I'm kind of not ready to take that leap yet. It's still a work in progress. Gotcha. That's interesting. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. I was, I was curious, like how that would impact you. And I, I, I mean, I, I kind of want to share a really personal story because of this, the, the idea about diet and um, uh, how that can affect your health is really important. I think, cause uh, I, I, like I said, I never really thought about it mm -hmm. until I read your book. And, uh, but it maybe it reminded me of some experimentation that I'd done on myself. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I really liked your line about Hippocrates and how he said, let food be thy medicine. And, yeah. Uh, the, the kind of the aspect of how fasting is, is good for you as well uh, on many different levels. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, when I went through puberty, I had really bad acne, like <laughs> okay, all over my body, like really, really bad. No and, way. um, going through college, it just got worse. Mm -hmm. And uh, after I graduated, I'm like, dude, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. Like, I'm never going to get a girlfriend if I can't get this out of control. <laughs> so I was going to the doctor and stuff and, you know, dermatologists and saying, you know, asking for some help. Is there anything I can do to like control this acne? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got creams and whatever and topical stuff to apply and nothing ever 
uh, helped me. So mm-hmm. when, I, when I was in graduate school, I decided, you know, I'm just going to stop eating everything and try to figure out if there's something that I'm eating that's causing this. And so I fasted for two weeks, didn't eat it. Wow. Didn't, didn't eat anything. And all I drank was like water and coffee and beer. Wow. <laughs> beer, it's there you like beer. Cut out the beer, right? Right. <laughs> so then after two weeks, I started adding in uh, one food item, which was tomato soup. And I don't know if you can say that, but tomato soup is what I was eating. Okay. And, and I'd break out again just from tomato soup. I was like, what the heck? I know there's, huh. there's no sugar in tomato soup that I'm aware of. So then I started looking at the ingredients. Mm. And then, sure enough, high fructose corn syrup was in tomato soup. But I didn't know mm-hmm. what that was at the time. So then I would, uh, I'd, I'd wait a week. I wouldn't eat anything for a week, and it'd clear up. And then I would try something else. Um, mm-hmm. Peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I used to eat those all the time. Sure enough, I break out again. Well, what's in peanut butter and jelly? Jelly, wow. high fructose corn syrup. So yeah. I finally put it together that that one ingredient, high fructose corn syrup, and some other glucoses, which I mm-hmm. guess are some other types of sugars, would make sure. it break out like crazy. And if I just avoided foods with those with high fructose corn syrup and other glucose, I I would my skin would clear right up. No kidding. And so when I read your book about the importance of diet in treating uh, you know, it's not a acne is not a serious disease, but it definitely affects your body what you what you eat. Sure. So sure. that really resonated with me. So the, the you know the idea that what you can eat can can help you with some more chronic issues is that's sure. really really cool. It's it's really interesting to think about, and it's important to consider what you're because who knows what kind of crap is being put in our food these days you know oh no kidding yeah absolutely absolutely um you know i think i read they're up to about 28 names for sugar you know you mentioned high fructose corn syrup there's anything that ends with an os you know sucralose (laughs) and you know this maltose and this that the other um and you're right i mean it's it's it is hard to keep an eye on it and to see what's really going into your food. I mean, you almost have to be a complete stickler um, if you really want to do this. And, and, but I don't know, to me, it's worth it. You know, to me, of course, we should be looking at what we put into our bodies to look at how, how well their bodies are, are functioning and how healthy they are, right? Yeah, it's just like you said, sometimes it's difficult to <laughs> control that or whatever. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and I'm not, I'm not, perfect you know i mean we'll go to a restaurant and um i'll eat something and and it it is funny your taste tastes kind of change i mean i can tell when there's too much sugar in something um the way i could not before beer to me tastes really sweet now and that was never the case before you know um but uh but it's hugely challenged. There's a quote, and I use it in the book, which I love, um, from Dr. Georgia Ede, who's a psychiatrist and is using uh, low sugar, you know, approach with her with her patients to help them gain better mental health. And she said, you know, believe it or not, the brain is part of the body. You know, <laughs> we we never think of that. You know, yeah. but there's that that yeah. connection there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Um, so, so what's the bottom line on your book? What, what do you want us to take away from it? 
Yeah, the, really the takeaway to me is um, we all have to take some control. I'm not, and I'm not, like I said, to me, ketogenic, low-carb diet has been um, done wonderful things for me. And um, I find the science behind it fascinating and really interesting. And so I do emphasize that in the book, but that's this is not a, a everybody should eat keto kind of thing. Um, as I say, I have friends who are vegetarians or pescatarians, all kinds of things, and doing quite well. But I think we do have a responsibility to try to find ways to optimize our own health. Um, you know, we can't sit there and wait for a doctor to tell us what to do or how to do it or um, kick the can down the road and, and eventually, you know, get a pill to solve whatever problems are developing early on. Um, you know, it's it's really the, the idea of empowerment, I think, is, is something that I really tried to emphasize throughout the book is that... Um, through through eating well, through movement, through mindset, all these ways are, are ways to empower yourself to live your best life. Yeah, I like that. Um, I, I re also really liked your distinction between acute disease and chronic, mm. and, and how the health system is really geared towards you know fixing acute problems, but the chronic problems not so much maybe. Yeah, yeah. That, I found there's a doctor I interviewed named Brian Lesquez and. Um, he made that distinction, which I found fascinating. You know, if you have a broken leg, we have one of the best healthcare systems in the world. Um, if you have something long-term like diabetes or epilepsy or, uh, you know, any, any chronic disease that, that takes time to develop and takes time to, uh, to try to heal, um, we're not really well set up for that. Right. You know, uh, the old, you know, walk in, how, the average doctor's appointment is is now less than 15 minutes yeah <laughs> i think it's down to like eight minutes now actually and <laughs> and so <laughs> really how are you going to yeah um if you're a doctor and 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 i don't blame the doctors they're 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 constrained by uh the health insurance system they can only do the kind of work that they'll actually get paid for right. um and the, the health care system says you know well this you should be getting them in, getting them out so that you can make those ends meet. Right. And um, so we're not very well set up to uh, to help people in those kinds of situations. You know, uh, Dr. Lenskis points out that the um, the original mean of, of doctor is teacher. To go mm -hmm. back to the original right. uh, Latin and, and how often would you say that you've gone to the doctor and, and have been taught something really? It's yeah. really hard, rare to find these days. Yeah. yeah. So I really enjoyed your book. Uh, I, it really got me thinking. And like I said, uh, thank you. Know, you. Going, going back to when I was younger and trying to figure things out on my own. And uh, yeah, that anecdote about Jillian Zalos and how she was doing a kind of similar experimentation with her diet that really yeah. kind of resonated with me as well. So yeah, yeah. She's terrific. So, yeah, I mean, that's been the best thing about this book. It's just the opportunity to connect with some really wonderful people, really inspirational people. And um, they were kind enough to lend me their stories so that I can uh, put them together and, and put them out in the world. Yeah.
Love it. One other thing I wanted to ask you about your book cover, about the walnut that looks like. Yes. <laughs> how did that come about? Uh, you know, it's funny uh, because it just occurred to me one day. I was casting around for images and, um, you know, walnuts are, are actually a low carb, high fat food. So so it works yeah. on that level. But yeah. it also kind of looks like a brain, you know, yeah. and, and um, I'm probably about to scale of my actual brain. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty good in that way. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, that story at the beginning where you get that report back to the doctor. So, do you have another <laughs> Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> Love it. All right, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. It's good talking thank to you. Thank you.